Bonjour, agus chia Welcome to The Irish in Canada, the podcast exploring the histories and legacies of Irish immigrants and their Canadian descendants. I'm your host, Jane McGaughy. This is episode number five, The Execution of Thomas Scott. He didn't want to die. According to some accounts, Thomas Scott fought back as he was dragged out of his cell, shouting vile curses and threats at his Metis captors with every step he took. If the situation had been reversed, he probably would have done the same and worse to the men now holding him prisoner. This is horrible, he allegedly screamed as he was led out into the snow. This is cold-blooded murder. And then they shot him. Thomas Scott, in his way, is one of the most influential Irishmen ever to set foot in Canada. Like Cromwell in Ireland, Scott wasn't on the scene for very long. The famous part of his life only lasted a few months. But Canadians have been dealing with the consequences of his time out west for over 150 years. During his life, Thomas Scott was pretty much a nobody, an Irish immigrant from outside Belfast. The diplomat Donald Smith, who knew Scott in his final days, referred to him as, quote, a rash, thoughtless man whom none cared to have anything to do with, end quote. From the Metis he assaulted and the colleagues he threatened, even the Governor General of Canada, the people who knew Thomas Scott didn't like him. So you might fairly ask, why are you doing an episode about him? When I first began planning possible episodes for this podcast during the COVID lockdown, one of the very first names I scribbled down was Thomas Scott. It seemed so obvious. Thomas Scott had to be on the list. I mean, come on, he's a key player in the Louis Riel story. And that's one of the most controversial moments in Canadian history. It's a struggle that's almost always portrayed in the binaries of French versus English, Catholic versus Protestant, Indigenous versus Settler, West versus East. And yet there's an Irishman smack dab in the middle of it all. It's practically the mandate of this entire podcast. And then, gearing up for season two, it suddenly hit me. Oh God, we're doing Thomas Scott. The Louis Riel story doesn't end well for anyone, Scott included. And it's a third rail. Touch it, and you're going to get zapped, no matter what you say. It's that divisive. When I was in public school, the same history textbook was used in both the French immersion and English-speaking classes. The only time when they were not word-for-word word the same was the chapter on Louis Riel. They both agreed that Louis Riel was Métis, of mixed European and Indigenous ancestry. He led resistances in present-day Manitoba and Saskatchewan. He was an elected member of Parliament, a law clerk, a teacher, and the father of the province of Manitoba. And that's where the similarities ended. The French version portrayed him as a martyr. The English version said he was a traitor. When the CBC aired their countdown to the greatest Canadian in 2004, it was announced that each of the top ten would have an hour-long special on national television. Know where Louis Riel came in? 
Yeah, that's right. Eleventh. No biography for Louis Riel on national TV. Way to skip over that third rail. How does Scott figure into all of this? Thomas Scott was born around 1842 in County Down. His parents were tenants of the Blackwood family, who were better known as the Barons of Dufferin. We know almost nothing about his life as a child or before he came to Canada. But in the decade after Thomas's death, his family's landlord, Frederick Hamilton Temple Blackwood, Marquis of Dufferin and Ava, had become Canada's third governor-general. Lord Dufferin wrote that Scott, quote, came of very decent people. His parents are at this moment tenant farmers on my estate in the neighborhood of Clandeboy. But he himself seems to have been a violent and boisterous man, such as are often found in the north of Ireland, end quote. In the summer of 1869, Scott arrived in what is now Manitoba as a worker on the Dawson Road Project, connecting the Red River Settlement to Lake Superior. But his job didn't last for very long. He was accused of aggravated assault by his boss. He was then convicted and fined four pounds. Out of work, Scott drifted around Upper Fort Garry, now the city of Winnipeg, and eventually fell in with John Schultz, the leader of a small Anglophone group known as the Canadian Party, or the Canada First Movement, which sounds very Trumpian. These men were xenophobic, pro-British Protestants, so a Presbyterian Orangeman like Scott fit right in. The Red River Settlement was a thriving community. It had about 12,000 people in 1869, about half of whom were Métis. But none of that mattered to the powers that be at the Hudson's Bay Company, who had agreed to sell Rupert's Land, the entire vast northwest region of North America, to Canada the largest single real estate deal in history, 8 million square kilometers, or about a quarter of the continent, cost the New Dominion the bargain price of 300,000 pounds. In 2023 money, that's almost 44 million Canadian dollars, or, you know, two houses in Vancouver. The problem, however, was that no one had bothered to ask the people living in the Northwest if they wanted to join Canada, in fact, no one even formally notified them that the deal had happened. They just woke up one day and were suddenly on Canadian soil. They and the rest of the Northwest were reduced without their consent to a territory of Canada with no responsible government and no representation in Ottawa. This brand of Canadian imperialism met with quick resistance, led by Louis Riel. He was only 25 years old, two years younger than Thomas Scott. Louis Riel turned back the surveyors, who appeared along with the would-be governor, and then seized Upper Fort Garry, where he set up a provisional government. Apparently, when the Union flag was lowered, it was replaced with a sapphire-blue fleur-de-lis on a white background flanked by a shamrock and an Irish harp. Because... Louis Riel also had Irish roots. Donald Smith, a former Hudson's Bay executive, was tapped by Prime Minister John A. Macdonald to go out west and make a deal with Riel. And it all could have gone so smoothly. But then, Thomas Scott got involved. The Canada First Party, including Scott, 
resisted the resistance, attacking Fort Garry in December 1869, and they were promptly captured. Scott managed to escape, but then went back a few weeks later as part of a group of 50 men who had two goals, to free the rest of the prisoners, who incidentally had already been released, and to capture Riel. Instead, the Canada First men were captured. Again. Their leader, Major Charles Bolton, was sentenced to death, but Riel spared his life, hoping to ease negotiations with Canada. Thomas Scott was a terrible prisoner. He abused his jailers, shouted insults, called them cowards, and used racial slurs that I'm not going to repeat today. He swore he would kill Riel as soon as he was released. Scott was apparently so obnoxious that the other captured members of Canada First hoped he'd be taken somewhere else. By the end of February, Scott's jailers had reached their limit. They dragged him outside and beat the snot out of him. Instead of making him behave, he just got worse. Louis Riel had the support of the people of Red River, but he also needed the continuing loyalty of the armed Métis with him at the fort. The longer Riel tolerated Scott, the weaker he began to look to his own men. There was a growing consensus that Scott needed to be punished properly. A court-martial was convened on the evening of March 3rd. Scott was charged with insubordination and slandering Riel. This was a show trial. Everyone knew what the verdict would be before it began. It was conducted entirely in French, a language Scott didn't understand. And some accounts say that he wasn't even aware of the charges laid against him, other than being himself. By majority vote, the court-martial found him guilty and sentenced Thomas Scott to death by firing squad the next day at noon. Donald Smith was horrified. He knew this wouldn't go over well back in Ottawa, not to mention with Canadian Orangemen. He tried to warn Riel, pleading with him to reconsider the decision, but Riel was unyielding. Quote, we must make Canada respect us. End quote. Most historians agree this was Riel's great mistake. Killing Thomas Scott changed everything. I think Will Ferguson sums it up best in his book, Bastards and Boneheads. Quote, that he was an asshole is surely no justification for having him executed. If being an asshole were a crime, a lot of us would be in trouble. End quote. For such a famous moment in Canadian history, there's a lot of disagreement about what happened at the execution of Thomas Scott. Here are two of the versions that I'm most familiar with. Version 1. It is Friday, March 4th, 1870. Just before noon, Thomas Scott is led into the fort's courtyard. His hands are tied behind his back, and he's half-dragged by the guards, the same men who had given him a beating earlier that week. He's blindfolded, and the firing squad lines up. He screams that his execution is unjust, that it's murder, and then the men take aim and fire. Scott falls into the snow. But he's still moving. Someone comes up with a pistol and shoots Scott in the head. 
Although many paintings and prints depict this man as looking very much like Louis Riel, it wasn't. Version 2 Thomas Scott is led into the courtyard of Fort Garry. He might be screaming, he might be praying, the sources disagree. He's blindfolded, and the men take aim from about 60 meters away. That's far for a firing squad. Whether from the cold, nerves, or drink, this is probably their first execution. The squad's aim is off. Scott is hit in the left shoulder and the upper chest. He falls to the snow, twitching. But when the man comes to finish him off with the pistol, his shot isn't fatal either. Thomas Scott is put into a makeshift coffin, alive. One of the Metis leaders, John Bruce, allegedly can hear him yelling out, For God's sake, take me out of here or kill me. But no one touches the coffin. He's left inside to die of his injuries. According to historian J.M. Bumstead, George Robinson saw Scott put inside the coffin on the presumption that he was dead. But many hours later, when Robinson and Louis Riel entered the room where the coffin was being kept, they could hear Scott's muffled groans begging for death. Robinson fled the room. Riel closed the door. And a few moments later, Robinson allegedly heard a shot. In this version, Riel did kill Scott, a mercy killing. However, George Robinson is not a reliable witness. He was fired by Riel from his job as a newspaper editor that same month, so his version could have been fabricated. Back in Ontario, the Orangemen were apoplectic. One month to the day after the execution, Toronto's Daily Telegraph declared that Scott's death had been, quote, a horrible butchery, a damnable deed, which stamps indelible infamy on the monsters who committed it, end quote. Massive rallies were held across the province to fire up anger over the execution. One event was attended by nearly 10,000 people. The Globe newspaper printed a resolution from the Orangemen of Toronto, quote, Whereas Brother Thomas Scott, a member of our order, was cruelly murdered by the enemies of our queen, country, and religion, we call upon the government to avenge his death, pledging ourselves to assist in rescuing the Red River Territory from those who have turned it over to popery and bring to justice the murderers of our countrymen. End quote. Not well liked in life, in death, Thomas Scott had found his true calling. He was now a martyr. Fifteen years after the death of Thomas Scott, Louis Riel was now the one facing execution. He had been put on trial for high treason following the Northwest Resistance. The all-Protestant, all-white, Anglophone jury found him guilty but given Riel's precarious mental state by that point in his life, they recommended mercy, hoping that Prime Minister John A. Macdonald would commute the sentence. He did not. Riel was hanged, and French-speaking Canada never forgave Sir John A. Riel's trial is such a flashpoint in Canadian history, but I'm just skimming the barest surface of it today because 
in terms of Thomas Scott, what's telling isn't the trial, but what Riel said on his way to the scaffold. Riel was charged with six counts of high treason in 1885, but he believed his execution was because of Thomas Scott's. Quote, Sir John MacDonald is now committing me to death for the same reason I committed Scott, because it is necessary for the country's good. I was pardoned once for his death, but am now going to die for it. End quote. Fifty years later, one of the surviving members of the jury agreed, quote, We tried Riel for treason, and he was hanged for the murder of Scott. End quote. Many historians refer to Riel's decision to execute Thomas Scott as a blunder or a mistake. I wonder what Louis Riel would have done on that day in March 1870 if it had been put to him a bit more bluntly that his decision to kill the Irishman would kill him too. Next time on The Irish in Canada, I'll introduce you to Mary Boyd, the mystery surrounding her life in Toronto, and the scandal that erupted when she died. Thanks for listening to The Irish in Canada. The show was researched, written, and narrated by me, Jane McGaughy. This season was edited and mixed by Patrick McMaster and produced by Marion Mulvenna. Our theme music was composed and performed by Kate Bevan Baker, and our logo was designed by Claire McCauley. Many thanks to the School of Irish Studies at Concordia University in Montreal, the Canadian Irish Studies Foundation, Le Gouvernement de Québec, and the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada for their support. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. You can spread the word about the Irish in Canada by following us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Irish Canada Pod. Our website is the Irish in Canada podcast.ca. That's where you can find show notes for our episodes, including lists of sources and recommendations for further reading. Until next time, Gora Maogif.